All right, good morning. Are you ready to come together? So we're in a series uh, all the way through Romans, well, uh, at least halfway through Romans this fall. Next fall, we'll hit the other half. Uh, we can only handle so much at one time, right? Uh, but it's, we're just, it's called together. We're trying to come together as a church, come together um, really the way Paul was trying to get the Roman church to come together. And, and last week, we, we came together around this idea that um, that we have salvation in this good gospel that comes from God. That, that the gospel is the power of God to those who believe. We talked about Jesus and His good news and what He came to do and His death, burial, and resurrection. And we're coming around that idea that Hey, hey, if we're all going to come together as a church, there, there is this standard, and the standard is we, we all have to come together in one faith around the gospel and the good news of God. That's, that's what we started off with. And, and, and this, week, uh, this week, quite frankly, doesn't get any easier for us. Uh, maybe you've heard this phrase, ignorance is bliss. Have you heard that? Ignorance is bliss. Is bliss. There's a there's an old Chinese proverb. There's an old Chinese proverb that, that goes something like this: that the smartest man in the world is the man who knows nothing. Ignorance is bliss. And and really, even in the church, we are tempted, we are tempted to think that that is true. That ignorance is bliss. That the smartest person in the world is the one who knows nothing. If I were just to close my mind off to anything uh, of God or the Bible or maybe religions in general, then when I came to the pearly gates, when it was my time to be judged, that everything would be just fine. Maybe you've had that moment um, as a child, or you have had that moment with your children, and they come to you and they say, but I didn't know. It doesn't matter. And you say, but, but Mike, what, what about the person who has, has never heard the name of Jesus? What about the person who has never opened up uh, uh, the Scriptures in their own language? What about the person who, quite frankly, didn't grow up in a heritage of being Christian? What about the person who, who didn't grow up going to church because they lived in a different part of the world or on the wrong side of the tracks? What about that person? Isn't it ignorance bliss for them? And the response from Romans is no. Ignorance is not bliss. You see, this morning, we get this enormous picture of the absolute righteousness and holiness and goodness and the quality of God on one side. And we see the unrighteousness and the sin and the deterioration of mankind outside of the gospel and faith in Jesus. 
what happens to those who have never believed, who have never heard? Romans chapter 1, go ahead and join me there, verse 18 through 32. Paul is going to give us a picture of the righteousness of God and the unrighteousness of man. And he's going to answer these very hard questions in regards to those who have never heard. He begins in a, in a really a, a very delightful way. If you just skip down to verse 18, it's right after he has said, hey, uh, look what faith will do for you. It's the, the gospel and, and it's God and there's salvation there. And in verse 18, he comes right out of shoot and he says, the wrath of God is being revealed. And it's being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. What we find so easily is, is, is that we think that there are those who have an excuse, but in rea reality, everybody knows. The ignorant are as not, not as ignorant as we think they are, and so unrighteousness crops up because there's no faith in God. If you don't believe me, just, just check this out with me. Look at verse 19. The wrath of God is being revealed, verse 18. And then he jumps down, since what may be known about God is plain to them. Do you ever notice that God is an equal opportunity offender? That by the time, quite frankly, that we get through chapter 3 of Romans, He has offended every one of us. He's going to offend those who have no faith but think that they are okay to get by with none. He's going to offend those who are intolerant, which we might think is a good thing. And He says, well, I'm going to offend you. And then He's going to offend those who think, that because of their religion, they're safe, and he's going to offend those of us who might be in that camp as well. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. In other words, God is known. Somehow, some way, God in His sovereignty, in His power, in His goodness, in His holiness, He has saw fit that the people who come to cross this planet know Him, and He has made it plain to them. In verse 20, he goes on, he says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Ignorance, my friends, is not bliss. The smartest man is not the one who knows nothing. He must know God. Now go down just a little bit further, and you find in verse 21, for although they knew God, they knew God. They didn't glorify Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Jump down to verse 32. It's the very end of this particular section. 
Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Gang, there is no such thing as a person who doesn't know of God. Uh, Paul is saying, quite frankly, that, that the very creation that we walk on is a testament to who God is. In other parts of Scripture, uh, in fact, Psalm chapter 19, uh, verses 1 and 2, it, it reads like this, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they, talking about creation, pours out Speech, night after night, they display knowledge. This last summer, we got to go on an epic adventure. It was called Family Vacation. <laughs> and for some reason, we decided to pack all four of us and our stuff in a cooler in our car and drive 5,500 miles around the country. And it was amazing. Uh, we were there, uh, uh, we were driving in southern Washington and northern Oregon, and we had been up in the mountains of Montana just prior to that, and we, we dropped to the south, and, and for miles and miles and miles, all you could see was wheat fields. And those of you that are farmers, I, I even text Dan that very day. I was like, Dan, you got to come here because it's so cool. Like for miles, literally, like my, there was no fences. It was just like as far as you could see, it was just wheat fields. And it was golden and it was harvest time. And the, you know, the combines were starting to come out. And I was like, this is amazing. Wow. And then we dropped down into the Columbia River Gorge. And, and, and for those of you that maybe have never been there, I mean, it, like we have the mighty Mississippi and the Missouri, and they're muddy and yucky. And yeah, they're wide and they flow. But I mean, the Columbia River is like clean and clear and green and blue. And, and it just for miles and miles just tears through. It's absolutely gorgeous. And then we, went, then we went to Northern California, and, and one of the favorite parts of this entire journey for me was, was we got out of our car into the old redwood forest, old growth forest, and trees that are just, I can't even quite describe how big they were, like, like, like big. I mean, I, I, I was looking at them, and I was reading the statistics. I mean, these trees are taller than the Statue of Liberty. And I remember just putting the kids at the bottom of the base of one of these trees and, and aiming my phone at the very base to try and look up into the sky, and you couldn't see the top of the tree. I mean, and, and it was just like, it was, it was epic, and we were walking around, looking around like, wow, look at what God has done. It was absolutely breathtaking. 
And then we went down the coast and, and we stopped at this beach that we hadn't planned on stopping at. And the kids went and, and, and you know, uh, got all dirty and sandy in, in the sand because it's a beach. And, you know, drive their mom nuts because you know how it is. Like, go wash off. And then you have to, after you wash off, you have to get back on the sand. And so you have sand. No, go wash off. And then... It just doesn't work, right? And then we're, they, were, they were trying to, to get all the sand off of us. And someone goes, look, and right there, not, not a quarter mile, not, uh, I don't know, it might have been 150 yards off the shore. Here's these whales, these two whales that are literally jumping out of the water in their feeding. They're just like, oh, And night after night, we on our vacation, we were just like, can you believe the things that we have seen on this trip? We have seen the evidence of God's magnificence, His glory, His creative efforts in every imaginable way. And maybe you have had the opportunity to lay awake at night far from the city lights and look up into the stars and really just begin to count how many times you see falling stars thousands of miles from earth. And maybe you can begin to see uh, the star clusters and different galaxies that are out there. And God created all of them. And you're just in awe and you're going, that is amazing. What Paul says in verse 20 when he talks about that he has made it plain, that his, that his invisible qualities have been made known by what has been made so that men are without excuse. He's talking about the simple things that are around us every single day. Why is it that that cricket that does the cricket thing in our bedroom late at night when we're trying to go to sleep why, why is it that it does that? Because God created them that way. And so those things that are around us every single day, we look around and we go, whoa, i I got to find something behind this. Now Paul is not saying that, that this was like a written message in the sky like, you know, believe in Jesus and be baptized and you will be saved. No, that, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that there was evidence of God and that the evidence of God would lead us to want to know Him more. I also wonder when he talks about the invisible qualities of God becoming known, I wonder if, if we can see that imprint in one another. That if it's not just the creation that it's what He's created in us, that His fingerprint is uniquely on every individual in this room. And so that when we look at other individuals in the room and we go, man, they have this quality and they have that ability and I can't believe they know how to do this and they know a lot about that and they just have a natural uh, a knack for being able to do this. Rather than being jealous, we celebrate and go, you know what, there has to be something behind that. And that would point to God. 
You see, I brought my suitcase with me this morning, and I just wonder if we began, I know we don't have time, uh, but I wonder if we had balloons for everything that we could put in, in, in our suitcase, right? And just take around with us regularly. Uh, this one is skills and abilities and things that we see in other people regularly, and we could go, that's God doing something. And, 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 and what about all of the things in all of creation, right? And we could take that and, and, and put it in. Now, now <clears throat> the qualities of God. And we take them all and we put them and we take them with us. Now, now here's, here's the rub. Here's the rub. The tension of what Paul is saying is that people knew God and suppressed the truth. Let me read it again. Maybe you missed it the first time through. It's there at the end of verse 18. Uh, it's a number of words that he's going to use to say uh, that people knew about God. But they took the qualities of God that they could see regularly around them. And rather than search out God, they stuck it all in a suitcase, zipped it up, put it away, and sent it down the conveyor belt. L listen, listen to what he says. He says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of, of men who suppress the truth. This idea of suppressing the truth the idea of suppressing truth is, is to hold down, to, to push down hard. Uh, notice other language. Three times in this section of Scripture, uh, Paul's going to say, here's what these people do. They, they exchange God for something else. Look at verse 23. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And here it is and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images to look like mortal men. They exchanged it. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Uh, verse um, 26, uh, they exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. Here's, here's the picture. Here's the picture. Putting all of God's goodness in and saying, I am going to suppress this. We're going to zip it up. We're going to make sure it doesn't come out. And by my own wickedness, by my own choice, I'm going to make sure that it doesn't come out again. And sometimes, sometimes I wonder at a young age if we didn't have some sense of consciousness of what was right and what was wrong. And early on, it was seared so that we couldn't feel it anymore. And Paul says, no one is ignorant. And if no one is ignorant, no one has excuses. How did we get here? How did humanity begin to deteriorate into unrighteousness? And he says, it's because they took the qualities of God and they put them in a box and suppressed it. And they exchanged what was good for something evil. 
Now, before you think, well, I could never exchange God for a lie. I could never exchange uh, goodness of God for an idol. Think about this. Maybe none of us have little statues in our home that we light incense to or, or cross ourselves to or bow to. We might all recognize, even in our American culture, that we don't do such things. But, but perhaps, perhaps our hobbies have become something of an idol to us. That we think, quite frankly, more about those, those areas in our life that we enjoy than, than what we do in understanding who God is. I can be obsessive at times. I don't know if any of you are like that. At times in my life, I have found myself almost on the edge and perhaps looking over it on what it means to worship an idol. For many years, many years, I would run marathons, and I always was thinking about running marathons. What would make me faster? What would make me quicker? Do I need a new pair of shorts? Do I need the right kind of equipment? Do I need, do I need the right kind of nutrition? How can I know what I need to know in order to go faster when it comes time for the race? And perhaps there were times in me spending money and me spending time that I began to say to God, you are less important than this thing over here in my life that seems to be taking up so much of my time. And perhaps you know of something like that in your own life. Perhaps you're a, a, a photo taker. You don't like to be in any of the photos, so you like to be on the other end of the lens. And maybe that's become something of an obsession for you, and so you begin uh, subscribing to good things, good magazines, and, and, and you begin to read about how to make good shots even better. And then you go to the store, and they tell you about some new filters that you could get. And then they tell you about some new lenses, and you begin to to really want those lenses. And now uh, you know that maybe you can't afford the new lens, but you start cruising the internet to find new lenses. And all of your time and all of your effort and all of your energy now is being poured into how do I make great pictures? Paul says, of those who would claim ignorance... They know God, and they exchange God. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. They'll form idols. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. Now, I don't want to go here, but I, I will because the text does. He says in verse 26, Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. 
In the same way, the men would abandon natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. And men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves a due penalty for their perversion. What Paul is saying in the grand scheme of things is not just about homosexuality. It's not just about homosexual perversion. It's about heterosexual perversion and any sexual perversion. But he's trying to paint the picture of what life looks like in humanity without God and the good news. Gang, if there is no faith in God, if there is no good news, if there is no salvation through the power of God and Jesus Christ dying and resurrecting, then this is what happens. And we see it. And we know it. Now here's the truth. The truth is, three times, three times in this passage it says of folks, they exchanged. And three times in this passage, God says, I handed them over. I handed them over. God handed them over in their sinful desires of their hearts. He handed them over time and time again. God gave them over, verse 28, to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. And they engaged in every kind of evil. What does it mean to say that God gave them over? If there's all of these people who who thought that they were okay but aren't because they knew God and now they're exchanging what they knew uh, for, for a lie... What's going to happen to them? What's the result? The result is a humanity deep in unrighteousness. And God hands them over. What does that mean? When God hands them over, it's a picture of a a heartbroken parent who has a child in making their own decisions has decided to go another way. And it's a parent who looks at their child and says, I I have to let you go. We have good friends and they have a daughter and uh, they, I should say, they're friends, maybe not super close friends. But they have a daughter, and their daughter has gone her own way. And they've had to hand her over to it. We're going to let you, we're going to let you go and experience the, the kinds of things we're trying to keep you from, but we can't any longer. We're, we're going to let you go. Now, what you need to hear in that is, They're heart sick over it. And they'd always have her back. When Paul says that God handed them over, he's not saying God has abandoned them. In fact, it's really the opposite. If you you were to go back into the prophets of the Bible, oftentimes God says, I I did this. I I disciplined you in this way. I had other nations come into you uh, that you might return to me. 
Will you hear this? Outside of faith in the God of the good news, humanity is destined for wickedness and evil and unrighteousness. But God has not given up. While we perhaps have exchanged good things for not so good things, God is the one in heaven saying, if you put me in a box and bury me, you will be buried. But I want you to return. I want you to come back to me. I want you to repent, turn around, come back. You're welcome in this place. You're welcome with me. Turn around and come home. If we put God in the grave, we will find ourselves buried. But if we return to God, there will be great joy. And so this morning... As we look at what could potentially be a depressing section of Scripture. In the reality of, an, of the unrighteousness and the wickedness and the evil of mankind. We say yes, but God is asking us to come. He's calling us to return. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're like, you know what? Life outside of faith in this gospel isn't working for me. And I'm finding evil. Then the message for you is God's return. He wants you to come. If perhaps you've been a Christian for a long time and you recognize more evil in your life than you want, and you recognize perhaps a, a selfishness, then you have exchanged some things. Then now is an opportunity to repent. Because God is saying return. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the qualities that you have put and surrounded us by. And Father, I pray that even though unrighteousness is present, even though wickedness and evil is present among humanity, that we will recognize that we come together in unrighteousness so that we can see you. We love you. Thanks for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.